Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. This is our second official gathering of Roots Community Church. Woo, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you guys for coming. Um, We won't do that every week. Like, you won't be here a couple months from now and be like, it's our 19th gathering of Roots Community Church. We won't do that, so don't worry. Um, But it's our second one, and so I just felt, you know, kind of compelled to kind of just mention it right there. But we're excited that you're here. If you weren't here last week, then why not? Just kidding. Um, But uh, if you you weren't here last week, make sure you do two things. Um, uh, Connect with somebody that you don't know and connect somebody that you do know. And if you hate relationships and you are a person who doesn't want to kind of get out of your shell, uh, this church is really going to frustrate you because community is kind of one of our is one of our um, our core values. If you are a hermit like myself and you would like you have no problem like reserving into your home and with your family and, you know, cut off the outside world for, you know, weeks or months at a time. You have no problem doing that like me. Uh, bust out of that shell. I challenge you to do that because there is so much goodness that God can provide in your life uh, through the relationships of other people. It is biblical that you meet with other believers and other people who, um, who are other Christians and continue to gather with them together, okay? So you're going to hear us and feel us. And if you feel like you're pushing me, yes, we're pushing you. We're kind of, we're, we're, we're doing that because it's a very, very important biblical component um, that we want this local expression of the church to have, okay? You guys good? <clears throat> okay, so um, this week we're going to go through um, our mission statement just really quick. Um, It's the first line on your notes there. So the mission statement for Roots Community Church is this, is to grow deep roots in Christ. So that first line is grow. The next thing is connect to community. So that second line is connect right there. So the first one is grow, second one is connect. And the last one is live God's purposes. Live. So those first three lines are grow, connect, and live. Over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to break that statement down and and we're going to deal with like a chunk of it for the next three weeks. So this week, what we're going to deal with first is um, that that first part, which is uh, growing deep roots. Now, last week, if you guys remember, we talked about Psalms chapter one. And um, if you weren't here, come see me afterwards. I can shoot you a little recording of the message from last week. Um, but Psalm chapter one, and we dealt with where our roots of faith are. If they are in a person, if they're in an organization, if they're in some gathering or whatever, um, they're in the wrong place. The roots of our faith has to be in Christ himself, in Christ directly. So now that we've established where those roots need to be, which is in Christ, how do we get them to grow? And so we're going to uh, go through one specific scripture Um, a passage of scripture um, today in our time together, okay? And it's John chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, um, it's on the paper. um, So you guys can just go through it with us. So I'm just going to read it right now. We're reading out of the New Living Translation. And just before I read it to you, let me give you some context. This is Jesus talking to his disciples a few days before he is taken away to be killed, tried, crucified, and before he is buried and raises from the dead again, okay? So this is, he's trying to get some important information right before he dies into the hands of his disciples, okay? <clears throat> so here's what he's saying. So I, Jesus, am the true grapevine. 
and my Father, God, is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been uh, pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, <coughs> excuse me, for apart from me, um, lost my place, sorry, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Again, he says, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take three principles that are in this passage right here, three of these principles, and we're going to talk about how you can, as a Christ follower and a believer, get your roots to grow deeper down into them. If your roots exist now, great. We're going to get, or, or our goal here is to have these things grow deeper so that when the storms of life come or you deal with any scenario, it doesn't shake your faith. Those roots don't move. Okay? So, the first thing that we have, which will be another, your next part of your note on your, um, or your blank on your note is this. The first thing that we must do to have roots that continually grow deeper in Christ is this. Remain in Christ. <clears throat> remain in Christ. Okay. So I want to go back to verse 4 real quick. Remain in me and I will remain in you. <clears throat> now what I want to do here is I want to put a tool in your hand. Okay. Um, this is one of those, well, hopefully we'll be giving you a lot of tools going forward, but I want to put a tool in your hand that I want you to keep close, keep it in your pocket, keep it in your tool belt, your quiver, whatever analogy you want to use in your holster. If you're a gun guy like me, you know, you keep the tool close to you um, so that you can begin to use this tool going forward. Okay. The tool is a question. Okay. It'll be those next four lines that you see on your notes right there. Ready? Yeah. The tool is this. What does that mean? <clears throat> what does that mean? That question is the tool I want to put in our hands. Here's why. Um, so we, you know, we, it's, we're, we're still kind of a small gathering, and so we can kind of be, we don't have to, you know, lie in front of everybody. Hopefully we won't lie ever, but, you know, when we're small, we can call each other out on some stuff, right? How many of you guys have ever been to a church service where a pastor or a leader or maybe even you heard me speak or something and I did something like this because I've been guilty of it before. But have you heard them say something like a statement that sounds profound? It sounds like, hmm, that's good. But when you just go back and think about it or read it or hear it, you go, 
That doesn't really make much sense to me. Anybody ever had that happen? Anybody ever had that? Just don't be shy. Put your hand up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, thank you. Two, three, okay. The rest of y'all are lying, or you've never been to a church service before. Um, so let me give you one. Like, I heard this one time. Somebody goes, you can't get your promise until your promise gets you. Like, they flip the statement around. You know what I mean? And everybody goes, yes. You know, and the organ screams, and people run around in circles and do the little jig, you know? And then, I, I, But I'm sitting here, and my analytical mind goes, what does that mean? Right? What does that even mean? So... Um, this tool is going to help you, and I want you not to be afraid to use the tool when there's something that you don't understand. Now, let me pause right here for a second and say, if you are one of those people who, don't, who doesn't like to ask questions in the middle of something um, because you think it makes you look like you, know, you weren't paying attention or you're not quite as smart or intellectual as the next person, let's put those fears aside with this particular tool. When you ask a question, this particular question, when you use this particular tool, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you don't have the intelligence to understand what was said. It means what was communicated was not clear for your understanding. See, teachers are taught this. The student has not learned, or the teacher has not taught until the student has learned. It doesn't matter how much time you spend on the lesson plan, doesn't matter how much time you went through and said, I'm going to spend time prepping for something. No, 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 no. If that, if that doesn't communicate to the student clearly the principle, then you really haven't taught. Does that make sense? So when you say, um, what does that mean? It's an, it's an effort to give the person another chance to offer clarity to what they're trying to communicate. Does that make sense? So get rid of that fear of wanting to ask the question. Put that tool into use, and I'm going to show you a couple ways to use that tool here in this message, okay? So, that, the, the John chapter 15, verse 4, <clears throat> it says, um, uh, let's see here. Oh, let me back up real quick. The wisest man next to Jesus ever to walk the face of the earth was Solomon. He wrote the book of Proverbs, and in the book of Proverbs, Chapter 4, verse 7, it should be on your notes there. It says, wisdom is the most important thing. This is Solomon talking, okay? The smartest guy next to Jesus ever to walk the planet, so we should listen to him, right? Wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Okay, so the next one. If, even if it costs you everything you have, get understanding. That last word there, Understanding. So here is Solomon saying, we need, you need to get wisdom. We have scripture in our hand, which is the ultimate, it's God's word, the ultimate source of wisdom. And now he's saying to also equally as, 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 as vigorous or as forceful pursue understanding. And so putting this tool in our belt, what does that mean? Helps us accomplish what scripture has lined out for us to get some understanding. If you understand, and this is... Um, now, if you're married, this is not the, 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 the question of, um, what does that mean? <laughs> it's not that question. You know what I mean? Like, if you've said something smart to your wife, which I've never done before, but if you've said something smart to your wife and she's like, uh, what does that mean? And the head starts to roll, it's, that's not the, this question, okay? It's an honest, sincere asking for something to be clear, okay? So, remain in me 
and I remain in you. So I looked at that scripture and I thought, what does that mean? So in a scripture like this, I pull out this tool and I go, man, what does this mean? So I looked up the word remain. In some translations of the Bible, it says abide. And so if you're familiar with church and they use, you know, probably King James or New King James Version, you would hear this scripture, not remain in me and I remain in you, but abide in me and I abide in you. So I'm looking at that scripture and I'm going, what does that mean? And so I looked up the word that, the, that was used in the original language of the Bible. And that word, it says next spot on your notes there, is meno, M-E-N-O, M-E-N-O. And that's really how you say it. I looked up the, you know, the phonics of it and everything. So it's not like a redneck trying to speak Greek, right? It's meno, actually. <clears throat> so the definitions of this word meno are this has a couple of definitions and gives us some layer, okay? To tarry, wait, and not to depart, okay? Continue to be present. Be held continually. To last or endure. And to remain as one and not to become another or different. So when I'm trying to, when I'm looking at the scripture, I'm trying to understand what does that mean. I take those definitions and put it in the in place of that word in the scripture. So instead of remain in me, I'm going to take those definitions and put them in here. They're on your paper. Follow these along and tell me if this doesn't start to kind of open up your understanding of what he's trying to say here. Do not depart from me. I will not depart from you. Continue to be present in me. I will continue to be present in you. Remain as one with me. I will remain as one with you. Do not become different to me. I will not become different to you. I don't know about you, but after I started to look at this scripture with the definitions, I started to go, oh, this is more than just that little, yeah, remain in Christ, man. What is that? How do you do that? You do not depart from him when things get tough, when the burden of life is a struggle, when people that you thought rolled with you bounced. Do not depart from your faith in him because he does not depart from you. Continue to be present. Now, we talked about being honest. I've spent the lion's share of my life ever since I was 17 in some kind of ministry, right? Like most of it's full-time ministry. And this is a struggle for me because I cannot turn my mind off. I don't know if you're like me. Some of you guys can't get it fired up. You know what I mean? I've heard that before. I can't turn mine off. And so continuing to be present, when I look at that, I go, man, how many times have I opened up scripture and my mind has drifted off to what I have to do during the day? How many times have I sat with Jesus and played the worship music and thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to give, uh, give my time to God right now, but man, there's a bill due tomorrow and I can pay it online and I got my phone here in front of me. Might as well just pay it right now. 
right? I, as someone who has been in the ministry most of his life, struggle with remaining present when I'm with the Lord. If that's you, don't feel bad. We just need to do our best to eliminate these distractions and remain with him because he always, always remains with us. Remain as one with him. Ask for the way he thinks to be inside of you, the way he sees things to be inside of you, the Holy Spirit that is actually a part of the Trinity to be inside of you. That's how you remain one with him. Do not become different. Don't start one way and then listen to the teachings of other craziness, other cultural experts or motivational speakers or people have false doctrine or something like that. Don't become different because he never changes with us. When he's saying, remain in me and I will remain in you, there's an element of faithfulness, relationship, commitment, long-suffering, lasting, not changing, being authentic. That is what he's saying by saying, remain in me. See how asking the question and doing a little bit of digging can give you what Proverbs explains to us that we need. If it costs us everything, get understanding. If we're going to have our roots grow, we have to remain in him. We have to be faithful to him. How do we accomplish this? You'll see A, B, and C on your sheet there. In a couple of lines, I'm going to give you every one of them. Ready? How do we accomplish this? We, we remain in Christ by doing three things. Read his word. We read his word. <clears throat> Number two, we spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. And the last one, the third one, is meditate on his word. Meditate on his word. As I was going through that last one, I felt compelled to take a little off-ramp right here and deal with something. So I want to be very clear for us because um, this word meditate, we hear a lot in our culture today. Our Western culture has embraced this idea of quote-unquote meditation. It's actually a Hindu practice. It's a Hindu practice, and they teach all of this is garbage, but they teach that your body has seven different energy sources in it. It does not. They teach that you are to focus on those during meditation, and you can release an energy source somehow by clearing your mind and chanting syllables of things that don't make sense mantras. They encourage you to do something mentally to align with the universe so your spinal cord is exactly straight and it releases the serpent that's around your pineal gland that will shoot forth and give you energy. All of this is demonic and pagan. Every bit of it. So when you hear about the meditation, it's not just, I'm going to take some moments and clear my mind. Scripture doesn't tell us to clear our mind. It says to meditate on his word. 
Last week, when we talked about Psalms chapter 1, the second verse said that he, the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, that next line on your sheet, does he meditate day and night. That word meditate is the next line on your notes. It's the, it's the Hebrew word hagah, H-A-G-A-H, H-A-G-A-H. The definition of that word is to speak about, to muse upon, to imagine and think about. So that next line, that next line in your notes is this, the scriptural form of meditation the scriptural form of meditation is to spend time thinking about Scripture. Spend time thinking about Scripture. It's the next three lines on your notes there. The scriptural form of meditation is to spend time thinking about Scripture in an effort to draw closer to the Lord. Do we see the difference between the cultural idea of meditation and what Scripture tells us meditation is? Make sense? Yeah. If there's a Scripture that you have been reading or that you hear in a message or that you've opened up your Bible and seen somewhere and it sticks with you, that is on purpose. Take some time. Chew on that. Let it sit there in your mind. Think about, ask the Lord, how does this apply to my life? How can this how can this help me as I go forward, as I learn more about you, as I pursue you? How can, this, how can this scripture come alive to me in a way that I'm not seeing it right now? And watch what the Lord does to you. Meditate on his word. Number two, second way from this passage that we see that we can grow deeper roots into, in, into God is this. Remain in his love. It's the next one on your sheet. Remain in his love. John 15, chapter 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Again, let's pull out our tool. What does that mean? And let's dig a little deeper here and try to find out what is the root of what he's trying to say here. Because how do you remain in somebody's love? How do you do that? What, what does that even mean? Okay. This word remain on your notes there. This word remain is actually the word continue. This implies it's something you're already doing and it's going to keep happening. Or when you start it, it will continue. Should be in motion going forward. The definition of the word love in this scripture is agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. Now, this is important. Why? Because in the original, the, the Bible was written in Greek, right? The, the New Testament was written in mainly Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, but mostly Greek for our purposes here. That, the, the word love, our single English word of love, has a whole bunch of different it only translates to one word, but there's actually several implications of love that the Greek uses. The Greek says um, there's a, a love called eros. It's where we get the, the word erotic. It's like physical sexual love between a husband and a wife. There's another word 
that is a phileo, which is more like a brotherly type of love. And then there's another word, storge, which is a storgy or storge, however you want to pronounce it, that is like familial love, like love in a family. So they were even more descriptive on their words for love in a specific area. Because in English, I love you, sis, is the same word we go, I love them shoes. You know what I mean? We kind of loosely throw that love word around. You know what I mean? So there's a very descriptive word that's here in the scripture that's agape. Now I want you to look at these definitions for, for this word agape. So next line in your note, some definitions and descriptions of the word agape, A-G-A-P-A, or A-G-A-P-E. Listen to this description of what agape love is. It is not a feeling. That means it remains even when you don't feel the love for somebody, the emotional love for somebody. That love remains. It consists of goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight in the object of love. It's basically... It loves doing things and giving to the person who you agape. It is a sacrificial love that voluntarily, this is the word that jacked me up on this one, a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, or even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return just put equals Jesus, right? Like that ain't even on your notes. That's just what he did at the cross. Voluntarily giving his life, expecting nothing in return to give us an opportunity to be reconciled with God. That is agape love. The last one, it involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of will. Can you see how agape love is different than the kind of cultural way we say love to other people because our divorce rate is, you know, 50% in this country for married folks because I just fell out of love with you. I just don't feel it anymore. Like it has all been reduced to some form of emotion. But what scripture is telling us is that there is a love that goes beyond feeling. It is committed. It does good sacrificially, voluntary for others without expecting anything returned. And when you run into that, especially in our culture, people's minds are blown. It's no wonder that God has put this on us to remain with him in this type of love and to give it to other people. How... Are we as mere flesh and blood human beings? How are we supposed to do this? We're going to fail miserably at this. How are we supposed to do this? Look at the next verse. From verse 9, we're going to go to verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. When we obey his directions... We are fulfilling what he said in verse 9. He's saying, I want you to remain in my love. How? Obey my commandments and you're remaining in my love. Those commandments, love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
the Pharisee asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love. And he asked for one, Jesus gave him two. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. So the agape that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be remaining with that type of love to God, we're supposed to be giving to others. When we follow, excuse me, when we follow his commandments, we know when we obey his commandments, we are fulfilling that. We are growing deeper roots in him. There, we're driving through and creating a foundation that can't be shaken when we remain in his love. How do we remain in his love? We obey his commandments. How do we know what his commandments are? There's three ways on your notes, A, B, and C. Read his word. B, spend time in prayer. C, meditate on his word. A, read his word. B, spend time in prayer. C, meditate on his word. We're only going to know his commandments if we are reading his word and we're spending time with him and we're spending time meditating and considering how those things impact our own lives. Number three, the last one we'll go through quickly. The, uh, the, the last one, uh, number three, the point number three on your sheet is this, absorb his word. <clears throat> absorb his word. Our job as pastors, elders, teachers, and the church, our job for the people who have been assigned that role and led in that role by God is to be what we call an under-shepherd. Make no mistake, there is one shepherd. The shepherd is God himself. He is the shepherd. If any under-shepherd tries to get you, me included, to do something that is not lined out in his word or put some burden on you that is not lined out in his word, they are leading you away from the shepherd and you got to jump ship and go back to the shepherd. Our focus has to be following God. My job as a pastor, as an elder, as a teacher, and a leader is to be an under-shepherd that has been given the assignment to care for his sheep. Last, last week, we made it real clear, right? This is not my church. It's his church. This local expression, he has some people that he wants to gather that he's saying, Matt, you are designed. Nina, you are designed. Brian, all these guys who are going to come alongside, and eventually there will be more pastors and elders and leaders and teachers at Roots Community Church, but these are the people I want you to lead and help guide to me, for me, until I return. So I cannot treat you as if you were my sheep. I have to treat you as if you are his. Not as if you are his, because you are his. So one of my scriptural obligations is to teach, to feed, to care for, 
to protect, to lead, to guide, to help you understand scripture and push you forward to a relationship in him, to prepare some things. Those are my scriptural obligations for this role that he's assigned me to. So one of the main things that we do here is this right now, right? Teaching, instructing, sharing God's word, helping everyone understand it. That's what our, my role is. Now, um, I, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this scripture. I didn't know it was out of Hosea. But the, the scripture that's on your notes there is this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, for me, when I heard that scripture, I thought it stopped right there. I thought that was the scripture. And I thought it was kind of like a shotgun blast to all people. Like, you guys got to get smart on your word. You got to, no, 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 no. This scripture, let's keep reading. Look who it's to. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. He's talking to the people who are supposed to be teaching his word, the priests. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Here they are, the, 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 the priests of Israel, who are supposed to be teaching God's word to his people. He corrects them through this prophet Hosea. He sends this word through the prophet and says, hey, tell them they're not doing their job. They're supposed to be doing this. And my people out there, my sheep, my flock, his flock, is dying. They're dying. They're suffering. They're, going into this, they're being destroyed from a lack of knowledge. This is a warning to people in my position. <laughs> to say, I have to make sure that I'm feeding correctly and giving good food. Now... In our, our, in our analogy here, we're not really talking about sheep, right? We're talking about the tree. So how do I feed the tree? I do not cut a section out of the middle with a chainsaw and slide a ribeye and a baked potato in there and like pack up the, the bark back on the outside and hope the, the tree digests it because that doesn't work, right? How do you feed the tree? You pour stuff into the soil because that is how the tree grows. The tree's roots, they, they're looking for water, they're looking for minerals, they're looking for, for, for things that it can absorb to bring inside itself. So whether you are listening to me or even if I am listening to somebody else, we have a responsibility. The job of the listener is to absorb or take in what's being deposited into your soil. But when anyone deposits something into your soil, you are to make sure it aligns with God's word and his precepts. So before somebody waltzes in and says, I'm prophet so-and-so, John, I'm prophet John, and I'm telling you, you got to come up here and give me money or whatever. You know what I mean? Take off your left shoe and shake it in the air and your miracle will happen at the, at the end of five days or whatever the weirdness is. You've heard all this stuff, right? I've heard all this stuff. <clears throat> um, you have to look and go, um, that book that we all read, this is the Bible, it's God's word. 
I don't see anything here about here as a Gentile taking off my left shoe and shaking it and guaranteeing a miracle. So what do we do? We kick that stuff to the curb and refuse to absorb that into us. Because when we absorb these teachings into us, it shapes our thoughts, our beliefs, and our intents, and it affects what we produce and distribute to other people. In the tree analogy, whatever the tree soaks up through the roots becomes part of the trunk and it spreads out to the fruit. And people who taste the fruit go, ooh, what is that? And we try to tell them it's the gospel and it's not. Because we didn't just look at God's word and say, that is not in there, bro. Because as much as I'm going to try my best and study and give you absolutely the pure word of God, at some point in time, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to do my best not to. I'm not going to intentionally do it. But I'll stand here and say something stupid. And then the Lord will convict me and I'll have to come back here and repent. Please throw that out. But there should be something in you because you have a relationship with God. You have his word. Do you realize what a miracle it is that we have Bibles? Do you know that just a few hundred years ago, there were no Bibles to be passed out. You had to go to the priest, the Catholic Church priest, who could read Latin, and you had to trust that he was telling you what it really said. Part of that was part of the stranglehold the old Catholic Church had on, had on the, the, the culture, especially in Britain and over Europe. They would not allow people to own Bibles. Do you realize that thing that's sitting on, that's collecting dust maybe on some of our shelves, the, the price and the gift that it, that it is to be there with us? To have it where we can look at it ourselves and go, I may not understand all of this, but when someone preaches something, I can see that that is there. Yes, I'm going to accept that. Amen. What a gift we have. How in the world do we absorb all of this stuff? How do we make sure it's right? There's three ways. A, we read his word. B, we spend time in prayer. C, we meditate on his word. These are some of the most basic things that I, I think if we probably before the message started said, what are three ways you can grow in Christ? I'm sure almost every person if we would have just shouted out answers, we probably would have got these three at some point. They are things that are simple, but they are still things that are ignored. Why? Our culture celebrates big, popular visibility. Everybody wants to be what? Every author wants to be bestseller. Every recording artist wants to be platinum. Every football player wants to win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Everybody who's an NBA player wants to be a Laker. Yeah, yeah, see, see. <clears throat> um, so <laughs> I just derailed right there, man, sorry. Um, 
Everybody wants to be this big, huge, visible look at me. How do we know that even people who don't have the ability can do this? YouTube. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look what I'm saying. I want to be your influencer. I want to tell you how to put your makeup on. I want to tell you how to cook. Well, that's a pretty good one for me because I'm terrible. So I just follow the instructions. But everybody, look at me, look at me, look at me. And guess what? We, they give awards when you reach a million followers. Here's a gold thing that you can put up and celebrate that you got a bunch of eyeballs on you. Our culture is saying big, 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 visible, visible, visible. And our God and his scripture and his instructions is saying, let's do the grimy work that no one can see first. If he wants us visible, he will make us visible. If he wants people sampling the fruit of our life, he will put us in that position. We have to do the grimy work that seems that, that, that seems maybe simplistic or elementary. But in those things, in the pursuit of those things, reading his word, spending time in prayer, meditating on the Bible, on scripture, in doing those things, it roots you so deep into him, there will never almost never be a question about him and you will get to a point that your roots are so deep in him that no matter what happens i will not question him because i come back here i remained in him i remained in his love and i'm absorbing his word <clears throat> let me undo something that you may have had done to you like i had done to me okay there is not a specific time limit per day you are supposed to check in with God. Be free of the idea that if you don't get an hour, you don't get two hours, whatever was taught to you, Samoan church, if it was not five hours every morning, right? Like it's always longer with Samoan churches, right? Polynesians. <clears throat> um, if it's not, the, a certain amount of time, you didn't connect with God. I went to a ministry program where we were given an hour a day, and I was so unbelievably grateful for it because I never did that in my life. I was grateful for it. But if you don't get an hour every day in that environment, you did not fail your relationship with him. How many mornings... Do I get up and me and Nina sit somewhere alone from the rest of the world, no phones, sipping coffee, just interacting with each other? How many times has that happened in the last several years? On vacation, maybe. And it still wasn't the morning. It was the afternoons, right? Because we were just sleeping in. Does that mean I do not have a relationship with my wife? No. We have a constant dialogue and communication. Are there... Are there Am I supposed to connect with her every day? Yes. Am I supposed to spend time in some way, shape, or form connecting, communicating with her every day? Yes. Are you supposed to do that every day with the Lord? Yes. But it doesn't mean if I didn't get my hour in, I only got 45 minutes, and the next day I got to punch in and get an hour and 15 because I got to make up for what I missed because I only got 45 minutes in. And that last 15 minutes, I missed out on something, and I got to get there and get it tomorrow. No, stop. 
that book we read doesn't say that. Scripture does not give us that direction. It says, come to me and go be with him. It says to spend time in his word. It says to spend time with him in prayer and meditate on his word. If we do those basic things, the depth of our roots will grow so deep and so strong that there will never be a moment where you question God or your faith in him, regardless what happens.